Well, hey guys, it's good to be with you today. We are uh, sans amplification this week. Uh, we made the last minute decision when we had a lot of people who were out this week due to cold. Once again, your 10th reminder, hand sanitize and wash them hands, okay? Um, we actually had an event on Saturday where we were meeting um, other friends who we don't see very often, and it had five families, all five canceled due to illness. So... Um, what that means is, is that all over the county, <laughs> there's illness. And so um, uh, I have a cold. And so I'm not going to touch you guys, and I'm going to keep washing my hands so as to protect you. But um, that's what's going down. Uh, so uh, today's, uh, today's message is called Debating Jesus and Winning. Um, and uh, it's, it's not going to be heretical, I promise, as much as the title might suggest. Um, we're going to be in Matthew 15, 21 through 28. That's Matthew 15, 21 through 28. We have Bibles available in the back. Um, feel free to grab one uh, to borrow, or we have some paperback ones that you can just uh, keep um, if you'd like to. And if you want a hardback one, you can keep it too. Um, so today we're going to be talking about this woman. Um, she's a, a, called a Canaanite woman. Um, and Matthew calls her a Canaanite woman. The more contemporary term is Syrophoenician, which I'm sure you guys all recognize that term, right? Um, Mark uses the term Greek which I think is a little uh, clearer. Um, but either way, it's meant to be clear that this woman is not Jewish. Um, and uh, what's interesting is even though the woman is not Jewish, even though she doesn't have the same heritage, um, she knows what she's supposed to call Jesus. She knows to call him Lord. Um, she knows to call him Son of David. And there's something very interesting in her faith that is on display in her interaction with Jesus. Um, so uh, let me read to you from Matthew 15, 21 through 28. Matthew 15, 21 through 28. Um, when Jesus left there, he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from the region came and, and kept crying out, Have mercy on me, son of da- Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely tormented by a demon. Jesus did not say a word to her. His disciples approached him and urged him, send her away because she's crying out after us. He replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came, knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. He answered, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus replied to her, Woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was healed. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, we are no more than beggars at your table. Uh, We ask for scraps, and still you have invited us to sit at your table. Thank you. You could be a tyrant. You have all the power available to be a tyrant, and yet you are kind, welcoming, and you approach us less as a a demonstrative tyrant, but more as a sweet, kind, loving, compassionate father. This morning, our community is full of hurting people, hoping you will visit them. Lord, would you do a great work in our communities even now? And would you speak to us this morning, no matter how undeserving we feel we are? May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So uh, being as uh, your pastor as a cult today, um, this is supposed to be a short message. So we'll see how that goes. And uh, we, cut, we cut a song and um, we're down some musicians. And this is just one of those days that I, I just think we're just supposed to be in each other's presence and then uh, go home to our sickness or whatever. Um, maybe some of you guys can hang out together. Um, but I, I just want to talk to you about this period of time before Jesus arrives um, in uh, Tyre and Sidon. Um, Jesus has come from a pretty stressful time. Um, his, his cousin and his friend John has just been beheaded. You guys know him as John the Baptist. He has been murdered um, by the king. And um, Jesus is grieving at this moment. Um, at the same time, Jesus is now to the point that wherever he goes, the religious people are going to attack him. Whatever he says, the religious people are looking for um, a, a, a break in his armor where they can attack him. Um, Jesus is now at the point where uh, the religious leaders are looking to attack him everywhere he goes. They've begun to verbally attack him in the middle of his messages, and they are no longer holding back their venom. Jesus knows that one day those very men are the ones that are going to kill him. Those very men are the ones that will have him murdered. To have them in his presence when he's speaking, knowing what they're going to do. Can you imagine how that must have been nails on a chalkboard? Can you imagine how knowing what was coming and knowing who was going to do it must have been so frustrating and intense? The cross is looming larger and larger in the life of Jesus. Like, do you ever think about... um, Okay, so for me, I don't like the dentist. I don't know if anybody else feels the same way. But if I have a dentist appointment on Monday, I can tell you I am dreading it all day Sunday. Like, there are those sweet moments where you forget that you're going to have to go to the dentist the next day. Where you're going to forget that you get the same speech about flossing, even though you floss sometimes or maybe sometimes. Um, you, you start to have that dread filling your heart and that, 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 that just the, the butterflies in your stomach. Can you imagine what would have happened if you knew the exact time you were going to die and you knew who was going to kill you and you saw them and they were there hungry for blood coming at you. And so because Jesus had, lo- had such a great loss in uh, John the Baptist, because Jesus was being constantly attacked, he withdrew is what the Bible says. He withdrew, and, and, and I would say that he withdrew to, for prayer and uh, to, to, to um, be with God and, and reestablish some of the power that he has in, in God's Holy Spirit, but also just for regular old rest and peace that can only be found when you pull away, right? And so Jesus retreats to Tyre and Sidon, which is basically like modern-day Lebanon, okay? So he's retreated to Lebanon. Um, our translation uh, today says he withdrew, um, And I I don't know if he uh, knew he was going to find rest or what, but Jesus uh, shows up at this place. And in verse 2, it says, just then. So you've got to imagine that Jesus has withdrawn, and just then, just then, someone comes asking for help. Like, dude, come on. Like, you know, when you, when you sit down for dinner, you've just made a nice dinner maybe, this happens, right? And uh, your family is sitting around the table and the doorbell rings or the, the phone rings and it's relentless, right? Like, you're, you're, you're finally getting that rest. Or, you know, if you're a parent, you, you put your kids to bed 
and you have decided, I am now able to rest. And when they come out saying that they're thirsty, it's like, mm, no, no, mm, no, just get back in there. I don't care if you're scared of a monster. Just get, get away from me. Like, this was my time. It's that moment when you say, no, 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 I have decided that I'm ready for rest now without you. And yet, the knock at the door, the kid coming out. Um, in the same way, sometimes when, I, uh, uh, when I, I wake up early in the morning to pray, every once in a while, when I'm up early in the morning to pray, my wife maybe has woken up even earlier because she has something on her mind and she wants to talk to me about it. I can tell you in that moment, when I am in the presence of the Lord, uh, I can turn to jerk like really fast. <laughs> you know, hey, what are we going to do in April for that thing? And it's like, I don't care what we're going to do. I'm with the Lord right now. Get out of my face. I'm learning to be graceful. But here's the thing. When Jesus retreats and this woman approaches him and she's got this, this, Jesus, Jesus, hey, Jesus, son of David. She, like, she starts talking. She starts, she starts like raising her voice at him, right? Like, Jesus, Jesus over here. Hey, son of David, can you... Can you imagine what he's feeling at that moment? Like, lady, I got enough problems already. Like, I don't need this right now. Um, now, there's this weird thing when we talk about Jesus as a human. Because he's God, right? And he's fully God and he's fully human. But I think sometimes we want to um, make him only deity. Um, and here's the thing. Jesus got tired. Jesus probably got frustrated. Now, he got frustrated. I think you can be frustrated without sinning. We know that the Bible says that you can have righteous anger. And so I think you could probably have righteous frustration and be righteously tired. And I think Jesus was here. Um, now, now, what I do not believe, because I've not seen it anywhere in the Bible, I do not believe that he could have responded sinfully. So we're left to look at the way Jesus responds to this woman. And we kind of put our heads a little bit sideways and go, Ah, uh, Jesus, the way you responded to this, like... Let me say it this way. If it were not Jesus, I'd be like, hey, that was kind of sinful and rude and racist, the way you responded to this woman. Like, you just called her a dog. And yet, because we use Scripture to interpret Scripture, um, we know that Jesus was without sin. So we are left to look at this and say, what is going on? What is happening? And when this woman approaches Jesus, she doesn't find the Jesus who can't even. He decides that um, he cares enough that he's willing to heal her daughter. He doesn't roll his eyes that we know of. And we find that he's actually amazed with this woman. Specifically, he's amazed at her faith. How cool is that? And so today I've got two points um, on approaching Jesus. And I want to say this before I get to anything else. Um, whenever we give you points, whenever we give you these ideas of what to do with God, ultimately this is about God and it's not about you. And so sometimes when I say, here's the things you do, um, we don't want to become Christians who just say, if I just press this button, then God's going to give me what I want, because that's not what this is about. Right. If I just do these simple things, then God will forgive me. And it's not that simple. It's actually much better. And in some ways, maybe it's even more simple. That God loves you despite the crazy ways you try to manipulate him. That even when you ask for something and you don't deserve it, there's many times that God says, okay, because I love you. Um, and so I, I give you our first point. It is Number one is God responds to persistent faith. Now it is still him that does the work. It's not you. 
Even your persistent faith in God is not the one that heals you. It's not the one that heals the friend you're, you're hoping that God will heal. It is still God. And at, this, at sometimes we tend to think, we get it switched around, right? We put the cart before the horse and we think, look what my faith is doing. When ultimately, even when this woman was faithful, it was God who did the healing work, isn't it? It is Jesus who did the healing work. So in verse 22, it says, Just then a Canaanite woman from the region came and kept, kept being an interesting word to use, right? Kept crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely tormented by a demon. I can imagine the tears and the snot coming down her face in that moment when she's so desperate, so desperate that she would shout to a man that she shouldn't be speaking to. She would would shout to a, a rabbi that she shouldn't be talking to. This is a very consistent theme that we're starting to see in the people who approach Jesus. They had no right to talk to him, and yet they were healed. Verse 23, Jesus did not say a word to her. His disciples approached him and urged him, send her away. She's crying out after us. He replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now let me give you a grammatical note here about Greek. Um, Oftentimes when we see a question in the Bible, or we see a statement in the Bible, we can't be 100% sure based on the Greek um, that this was not a statement or a question because we did not use the same, in the Greek text, they did not have the same type um, of uh, of punctuation that we do. Um, So in many ways, uh, what Jesus could have said, and, and some scholars believe this, is not, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but he could have said, was I sent only to the lost sheep of Israel? Which is quite different, right? Um, now, uh, I'm not sure that this is like, this matters enough that we can be like, oh, this changes everything. But I think it's just worth noting that he could have asked a question there. Verse 25, but she came, knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. He answered, it isn't right to take the children's bread and now throw it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, yet... Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. This woman is clearly at the end of her rope, friends. And it is in her desperation that she finds a hope and a faith in Christ that is hard to find anywhere else in the Bible. Now, there's a few things I want to I go at here a little bit. And I want to go at what I read. And so, um, a lot of times I want to teach you the main points of what's going on. But there's sometimes that something sticks out so much at me in the scripture Um, that I feel like it should be addressed from the pulpit. And I will tell you that there's so many times that I'll I'll hear a pastor speak, and he'll just skip over that one line where you're like, dude, that changes everything. How come you're not talking about that? So if you will permit me, I would just like to talk a minute about the way Jesus talks to this woman. Because it feels sinful, but we know, A, Jesus did not sin. It's a hard thing to hear a person, a human being called dogs, right? Politically, people have, have called each other this, and, and um, it's been a fight, right? So here we have Jesus who calls someone a dog. Now, I'm going to give you a few theories as I've read through different texts from all different uh, people. Um, here's the number one theory that uh, I would say has zero credence. Jesus was a racist jerk. That could be one of them. Okay, cool. Jesus saw this woman of another race, not Jewish, and he called her a dog, and he's just a racist jerk. There is no other place in Scripture that would confirm this to me. There's no other place in Scripture that would say Jesus sinfully um, approached anyone this way. So I'm going to cross that one off. The second one, second theory. Jesus was tired and snappy. 
Um, now, I think there's plenty of evidence that Jesus is tired. Um, but snappy, I don't see any other place where this is consistent with the character of who Jesus is. Because when we see Jesus on the cross dying, he forgives the people next to him. So I don't think that's consistent with his character either. That Jesus would just be angry sinfully at this woman. Okay, that's theory number two. Jesus, uh, theory number three. Jesus was sent to train the trainers. Not necessarily just go after these people. But here's what I would say. Jesus healed all kinds of people. Jesus healed all kinds of people throughout the scriptures. And the people that he healed were not necessarily just the trainers. Now, could he have been trying to teach his people? Yes. But I don't think there's enough evidence that this was all he was doing. I do think this is part of who he is. But we're getting more and more into things that are true. Here's another one. Uh, The fourth theory. This is one I like. Jesus knew if he went to the Gentiles first, no Jews would ever embrace the Messiah. This is interesting. If the Jewish people um, who Jesus was sent for heard first that all the Gentiles were embracing this religion, this new form of Judaism... I believe that they probably would not have been interested because um, to them, Gentiles were dogs. So Jesus is trying to meet the Jewish people where they're at, I believe, and go to them first. Now, we do know that when Christianity spread throughout the nations, it spread most to the Gentile areas, to the non-Jewish areas. That is where it spread the most. So the fifth theory is this. Jesus had one mission. That mission contained priorities. Israel was God's family. At that point, anyone outside of Israel were enemies of God. So Jesus was obedient to who he was called to at the moment. Now, uh, spoiler alert, Jesus was for all people. But it came later when he started to talk about this, didn't it? It came after his resurrection that suddenly the mission took on a new theme and a change. Um, So... What I think this was is that Jesus had priorities. Jesus had priorities for the moment. And Jesus knew that he had to focus on this moment in this season. Um, So you guys, many of you guys know that um, I believe that there are uh, priorities that we should have in in our city. And um, one of the biggest priorities that I think we should have is housing. And and one of the things that we've noticed is that people in our community um, are being driven out because they can't afford to live here. And I think that's a shame. Because San Diego, I think, is a great city for many people. And there are many communities that are full of people who were poor that are slowly being driven out. And um, it pains me to see how many of my neighbors are starting to have to move. And so I'm on housing committees because I think that Jesus would be. Uh, I don't know if he would or not, but um, so I am. Now... Um, Just to give you a little more history, I grew up in a very super-duper liberal family, okay? And um, being that I grew up in a liberal family, uh, I considered myself to be a strong environmentalist. When I was a kid, I had this book called 50 Simple Things You Can Do to Save the World. And I did everything on that list, friends. Like, I was out cutting up all the, like, six-packs, you know, um, to make sure that no, like, uh, no fish choked on it or anything like that. I was making sure that, like, every plastic bag, if I found it on the street, it would have to go in the tree. Like, when we, one year, we got a Christmas tree that was live because we didn't want to kill a Christmas tree because I was that environmentalist, okay? Um, I think it stayed with me so much to the point that like a lot of times like I throw my my uh, compostable garbage just into the backyard and I 
make my wife really mad at me um, because I'm like, I just don't want that in a landfill. So um, let, let me just tell you, like there are some hippie tendencies in me, okay, when it comes to environmentalism, okay? However, if I receive a project that's in our neighborhood and it's going to have housing for hundreds of people who cannot afford housing and they find that perhaps it might affect like some little owl in the neighborhood, like for me, I'm going to be like, forget the owl. These people who are on the streets who sometimes are getting hepatitis because they don't have uh, any, any, any ability to have clean bathrooms or anything like that, I'm going to put them as a priority first. So it's not that I got a problem with the spotted owl, but I'm going to understand that I need to put a priority on the people who are suffering. In the same way, Jesus had priority. In the same way, uh, I actually had someone come before our board, uh, the Southeast San Diego Planning Committee, uh, two weeks ago. We had the, all these people, and they were saying, we don't have any parking on our street. Okay, well, tell us more. So we had a, a ton of people from the neighborhood come. And we had uh, this one pregnant woman that said she got off work at 10. And she would have to park two blocks away. And she would dial 911 and then wait to hit send as she was walking on her way because she had no parking. We had another woman who, had, um, who, had a, uh, who was um, uh, unable to walk without uh, help. Um, she had to park blocks away when she got home from work. We had other people who would have to take several trips over several blocks um, because they needed to grab their groceries only a few at a time. And we had someone there that was like, but if you add parking, it's going to make our neighborhood less bikeable. And, you know, for me, like, I love bikes. I'm all about bikes. There's a great bike thing that's going to go in just down the block, actually, um, and I found myself saying, like, you have terrible priorities. Like, you're, you're going to tell this lady who's here right now that's pregnant, that's dialed 911 and waiting to hit send, you're going to tell her that we want our neighborhood to be a little more bikeable so she should park blocks away. Priorities. Priorities. And I think Jesus had his priorities in order. I think Jesus understood that sometimes in order to do something well, you have to, to shun something else. But the cool thing is, is that even though he had priorities, he was kind and he was loving and he was aware of his surroundings. And when someone reached out to him, Jesus said, okay, because I'm loving. Yeah, okay. And and so he may say it was because of her faith, but it's truly because Jesus is compassionate. This woman asked mercy on herself, which can also translate as have pity on me, son of David. Which is interesting because she's not asking for healing for herself, is she? She's asking for someone else. And still, in order for him to listen to her, she has to ask for pity. And Jesus responds, yeah. The woman didn't believe she deserved it. Her daughter's healing would have to be an act of true benevolence. Now, New Testament scholar Leon Morris has another view. He says, those who own dogs make sure they are fed. The neat answer shows that the woman was not presuming on her position, though. She knew that she did not belong to Israel and thus had no claim as belonging to the chosen people. But surely, surely there would be crumbs. This woman was searching for the correct tool when she approached Jesus. And she was willing to do anything it took. And she was willing to do it in humility. I don't deserve this, but I'm going to find a way to make sure my daughter is healed. And if you have ever seen a mama bear who who needs to protect her child, who needs to take care of her child, like they're going to do anything it takes. And this woman had faith in Jesus, and that's what it took. 
I'm not like a tool guy. I'm not like a Mr. Fix-It guy. And I'm sure that there's someone in the room that knows how to use tools better than me. Um, but like, I got like uh, one of those uh, tool chests. And then for my wrenches, I have, what's that called? A, a plastic bag. <laughs> it's a Ziploc bag. That's right. And so uh, when I need to use my, my wrench, I get out the Ziploc bag. And it's, it's disorganized. And if you know uh, how tools work, uh, specifically wrenches, you know that there's two different denominations, right? Um, you have European and American. And a lot of our cars uh, are mixed up, right? And some of them will even contain both. It's confusing. And so when I'm using a wrench, this is what I do. I take one out and I put it on wherever I have to turn, and I see, is that too big or too small? And then I try and look at what it is, and then I try and find another one, and then I put it on. And I slowly eliminate all the other ones. And it's, it's like I don't have the cool thing where they're all organized. You can see them by the numbers. No, I've got the Ziploc bag. This woman was pulling out whatever she could and approaching it to Jesus, knowing that if she just found the right tool, he would respond to her. And, and what's interesting is I don't think the tool she chose was the one that actually got her daughter healed. I think that she saw persistence, but God loved her persistence because it was drawing her to Jesus. She was shouting from him far away, and then it says she came and she knelt down at his feet. So it's not only persistence, but it's, it's the fact that the persistence was driving her to the feet of Jesus. And so in Luke 18, oh, oh I'm sorry, so, so often we try to codify how to get God on your side, don't we? Churches are devoted to this. Do this and God will bless you. Do this and God will love you. Friends, he already loves you. He just wants all of you. Uh, he's not a puzzle to be solved. He is a lover to be embraced. And dudes, that may be weird for you because really in the Bible, it calls us a bride and you got to deal with that. But the cool thing is, is it calls the ladies sons. So we're okay, right? But this means that we go to God again and again and again. And the, the real key to the puzzle is us coming to embrace him and understand him and be closer to him. What he loves is that we're seeking after him. I don't think he cares as much about which tool I'm using, but the fact that I'm trying to engage him is what he cares about. Now in Luke 18, 1 through 8, Jesus tells a story. You've probably heard this story before. Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't, hear, who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling. But later he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because of this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice. So she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will, will he find faith on earth? Friends, here's the thing. God likes you approaching him. He likes your persistent be persistence because it draws you to him. Perhaps your reason for prayer is more a reason to spend time with God than anything else. Maybe that's what he likes so much about it. Maybe that's what's unlocking, uh, unlocking what needs to happen. And so the right tool may seem persistence, but it's so beyond that. Perhaps God really desires you approach him in faithfulness. Perhaps sometimes the suffering in your life is meant to draw you to him in persistence. 
which is awesome to say up front, and I'll never say it to you when I'm beside you at a hospital bed. So God responds to persistent faith, but how does he respond is the next question. And that's my second point. Well, already almost done, right? Faith in Christ sets the captives free. Faith in Christ sets, sets the captives free. Verse 28, then Jesus replied to her, woman. Now, um, when, 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 when I say woman to someone, I just want to say this is a little different than the way Jesus says it. Just to be clear, usually when Jesus says woman, it's closer to ma'am. Um, okay, so like when Jesus' mother approaches him and says, uh, Jesus, can you figure out the wine for this wedding because we ran out of wine? He refers to her as woman. But it's really, I, based on my studies, it's closer to ma'am, okay? So it's not as disrespectful as you might think, okay? I think it's just fair to say because Jesus is already calling someone a dog. You know, we should, we should be careful. He says, woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And that moment her daughter was healed. It is the goodness of God and this woman's faith in Jesus that heals her daughter. But first and foremost, I have to remind you, it is the goodness of God first. She doesn't have a general faith, though, does she? Lots of people have faith. People have faith that, like, the cosmos are going to bring things to them. Have you ever seen that crazy video, The Secret? If you just wish enough that you have a bike, it'll appear. Like, this is not what it's talking about. This is a faith in someone, a true person, Jesus Christ himself faith in Jesus. Notice she refers to him as Lord twice and son of David. These titles reveal a lot. It means she has faith in who he is and what he can do. Uh, Now, there's a rapper named Tadashi who says this. I'm going to try and read this because it's hard to read. You know, like you ever do song lyrics and you want to... I never... I never hope in man, though some are willing, they're unable. But I'm the kind who'll be fine with crumbs from the master's table. I know the situation hasn't caught you by surprise. In fact, it's with faith I choose to walk instead of sight. I know that you love him since the womb you knew him. You never forget, so may the grace that drew him renew him. So this idea that when we embrace the king... When we go to the master's table, we know that he is good, that he will renew us, that he will love us. To have faith in Christ is an expectation of things unseen, but it's even bigger that we have an expectation in a God who is good and who loves us. Now, what does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to have faith with an expectation? This woman came to Jesus with a true expectation. I'm going to go from Tadashi to something quite different. There's a movie. And uh, in this movie, there's a guy named Phil Connors. He's a TV weatherman from Pittsburgh. And they travel to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania for an assignment that he clearly hates. He sees the people in Punxsutawney as hicks. And he wants to do his report and get out of town as soon as possible. But he is kept, out of ta- uh, but he is kept in the town by a storm. As a weatherman, a storm that he could not predict. Now, you may know this is a movie called Groundhog Day. If you haven't seen it, I recommend it. Um, And if you see it once, you might think it's okay. If you see it twice, you think it's brilliant. I don't know why. Every morning, he, he finds that when he wakes up, though, the same day is repeated over and over and over again. He hears Sonny and Cher singing, Just put your little hand in mine. I got you, babe. He hears it every morning. And so, 
what he finds is at first he's confused, but eventually he sees that his life is on this continuous loop, right? At first he's reckless about it. He goes and he does sinful behavior and he abuses this power that he has. Knowing exactly what tomorrow will bring can cause you to live a life of sin, can cause you to live a life where you abuse and take advantage of people. Then he enters the next stage, which is despair. Knowing what tomorrow brings can cause you to be really frustrated. Knowing what tomorrow brings can cause you to be really bored and annoyed and frustrated. So he becomes suicidal, but every morning he wakes up again and he hears, just put your little hand in mine, and he knows he's back. He tries to kill himself, but he knows he's back. But over time, something happens to Phil. He knows everything that's going to happen, and he uses that knowledge for good. He provides a warm meal for a homeless man, knowing even that that man will one day die. He rescues a child out of a falling tree at the same time every day because he knows that kid's going to fall, right? Every day repeats itself over and over again and Phil decides that perhaps I could use this moment for good. Now, uh, film critics have said that they believe that Phil spends 34 years learning to be a kind human being and that is when he finds himself out of the loop. Once Phil has an expectation for everything that will happen, though, he functions out of freedom and not fear. People look at him confused, but he has confidence in what the day and what that tomorrow will bring. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Phil knows what's going to happen that day. What if everything we did was that way? What if we functioned out of confidence and trust that God was always in control and we knew what tomorrow would bring, and that is Jesus on the throne? The same confidence that this woman has when she goes to him. What if we approached our relationships with the knowledge that God desires the best for us? What if we looked at our jobs as important, but not all important that we should stress as much as we do? What if we trusted God as sovereign over our families? What if we trusted God with our money? That is severe faith, to trust what tomorrow will bring and trust that he is good throughout that whole season. Hebrews 11, 1 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. To have faith in Christ is an expectation of the things unseen, an expectation that God cares for you and cares for your eventual healing, that God cares for you and he cares for the way you treat people around you, that God cares for you. And so so many times we function, though, as if he's not sovereign, as if he's not king, as if maybe even he's unwilling, as he sees us as dogs. But the good news is, is that even if he sees you as a dog, friends, he loves his family Even if you call yourself a dog, it's probably more likely that you see yourself as a dog than Jesus. And he says to you, your faith is great and you are loved. So what are we to have faith in? What makes it to where this can happen, this relationship, that we can be called enemies of God in the Bible, and then we can be called family. Ladies, you can be called sons of God. This woman had faith in something, so should we. And we call this the gospel, friends. And the gospel is so good. And the gospel is here and available for you now. 
And so when I encourage you every week to embrace the gospel, it is because I lived a life where I felt like I did not deserve redemption ever. I lived a life where I actually kind of distrusted God. And the fact that he was still willing to welcome me into his family was good news. And so some of us who are not believers today, uh, you, you may find yourself feeling like you have a great debt to God. And I would tell you that's because you have a great debt with God. It's true. That feeling is right. But the good news is that that debt was paid for you. That Jesus willingly left heaven. That the Father sent him here to earth to live a life where he endured what it means to be a human. What does that mean to be God but still allowing yourself to be taken advantage? Allowing yourself to be abused? Allowing yourself to sweat and get the same cold that I have right now? When you didn't need to. When you were self-sufficient. To come to this earth and die for the people who would murder you? And yet, he did. But when he died, he rose again on the third day and he conquered sin and death. And when he rose again, he declared that if you surrender your life to him, that if you lay down at his feet and say, Lord Jesus, son of David, save me, that he will save you. He promises you salvation if you embrace him and friends that is why we worship jesus and that is the gospel and that is the person that this woman had faith in and so like this mom sometimes if you're a believer we have to relentlessly approach god for others knowing that god will do the work if you are a believer you should approach the master often with the knowledge that people are perishing apart from him daily and also with the knowledge that he's able to redeem them that's such a big thing too Not just that we would approach him with despair, but approach him with the idea that he loves our neighbors, he loves our family members, he loves our co-workers more than we do. So if we feel fear, if we feel um, pain for them, know that he is sovereign and he cares. And that he has overcome this world and that is where we can go to him in prayer and ask him to have mercy on our friends and family. Jesus was training the trainers. There his disciples watched as he said, Jesus, can you just, can you just, just, just send her away? But he, he didn't, did he? He wasn't against this woman and he wasn't against her race. How do we know? Because he died for the whole world. Like he put his money where his mouth was, didn't he? And when Jesus was resurrected and he spoke to his students, his disciples, he made sure to point out that he came to die for everyone. And it is in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, that we have this very clearly articulated by him, where he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So he didn't say everybody but them dogs. He said all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So how do we know Jesus wasn't against this woman? Because Jesus wasn't against this woman. Because he confirmed it over and over again. Because it is confirmed in the Bible that Jesus died for all. So I ask you to think inside your head, who are the people that you think are unredeemable right now? Who are the the people that you feel justified in speaking out against instead of praying for? God died for them. God died for them. And I think we all have people on our list that we think, everybody's good but them. Everybody's good but that guy. 
And yet, I tell you, Jesus died for them. Jesus died for the person who hurt you, abused you, the people who speak terrible things against you. Jesus died for them. There is no one now that is a dog to Jesus. All are welcome to be in his family. And if, that, if that's you and you feel like the dog approaching Jesus, I tell you, he doesn't want you to come in through the servants' quarters. He wants you to enter through the door where the family comes through and you are welcome to sit at his, at his table. You are welcome, friend. If you feel unworthy to approach Jesus, remember, the one who casts out demons, who gives sight to the blind, who rescues the oppressed, can do the same for you. And this time, you don't even need to argue about it. He is already there for you, ready and waiting. He is ready, he is willing, and he is able. Friends, let's talk to him now as we pray. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to the people around us who are suffering, that maybe don't even know how much you love them and care for them. God, we pray that you would hear their cries, but even if, you, even if they're not crying out to you, would you hear our cries for our neighbors and our friends, our coworkers and our family who are far from you? Would you teach us to speak the truth in kindness to them? Would you help us not to be jerks when we present the most important things to them? And would you help them to listen? Would you soften their hearts? I don't know how you do it, but would you soften their hearts to your gospel? God, I pray for this neighborhood. I pray for Point Loma. I pray for La Mesa. I pray for Chula Vista. I pray for Santee. I pray for Lakeside. I pray for South Crest. That you would soften hearts supernaturally. God, that people would come to a saving knowledge of you and find that you adore them and their neighbors. God, save us. Save our community. We don't deserve it. We are dogs. But God, yet somehow you have seen us as family and we thank you. And so God, in this moment, we want to bring to you, in the silence of this moment, our sins that we confess. Would you receive them? Lord, I thank you that you don't see us the way that we see ourselves. And I thank you that you know us better than we know ourselves. You know the hairs on our heads. I don't know how many hairs are on my head. And still, even though you know our sin, even though you know our struggle, even though you know our pain, you love us. And so we say thank you this morning. Thank you for choosing to forget our sin. And thank you for when when you see us, thank you that you see your son, Jesus. You see his righteousness in place of our sin. God, help us to follow you. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.